Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hey there, folks. How's everybody doing? I think I have Daniel here. Yeah, Daniel? Yeah, right here. How are you, my friend? Can you long, hear me? long, long slash super long time. Yeah, it was a long time. I was thinking about when uh, I did a tutorial for you, like, I don't know. Um, it's like in the early days, it's like when I was working with Chris yeah. Costa and, and back in the UArtsy days. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, and uh, ZBrush was, um, what is it they had? That was when the hard surface was really working and you were pushing hard surface really doing some amazing yeah stuff. oh yeah that was yeah panel loops i think exactly. that was r4 or something yeah r4 panel loops oh yep. man Good you're stuff. on to other things now though yeah yeah i <laughs> i got my fingers in all of the jars i mean i still use zbrush a lot but uh, one of the new things is uh, you know blender that i yeah. uh, work a lot with yeah. So uh, it's uh, fun. It's really been uh, picking up, especially with a new development going on for uh, mm-hmm. 2.8. So that's really fun. Now, especially the uh, real-time uh, viewport stuff. That's just amazing to work with. Just getting a you know super fast, responsive image. You know how will the final image look while I'm modeling? You know, no gray shaded mm-hmm. crap. <laughs> that's great. That kind of thing. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to diving in and talking about all that. So. What do you do now? What's the deal? What, what are you up to nowadays? Nowadays, I work at a company uh, called Goodbye Kansas Studios. Mm-hmm. And we have our headquarters in Stockholm, in Sweden. But we also have studios in LA and Germany and London as well. So I've been with them for four years. And I work as uh, head of the modeling department cool. and doing characters and creatures. So look at modeling, sculpting, and grooming, basically. And a tiny bit of coding as well. What kind of coding? Is this just like scripting to get things to work together? Yeah, it's more like uh, simple tools. So for instance, let's say you are uh, sending a project to someone, you're sending project files, mm-hmm. and per- perhaps the um, paths to the textures are uh, not relative, basically. So you don't have a like a workspace. So right. it m- might be like, Oh, C uh, dash, uh, you know, desktop or whatever. Right. And you basically want to quickly relink all those textures. Maya has a path editor, but the thing is, like, currently doesn't work with Udium. So I I wrote one of those just to use Python and, you know, it basically tries to find the file name within a bunch of folders. Fair enough. So it automatically connects the textures for you. So you're doing the modeling, you're doing grooming as well. That's cool. Yeah. Is that a new thing you see coming up, that grooming becoming more significant? Grooming has always been significant. I mean, mm-hmm. looking at games, trying to find you know a great-looking hair has always yeah. been challenging. Of course, the, the workflow is different, working in um, pre-rendered or real-time. But you know, working with VFX, it's, I'd almost say it's a bit easier, not as time-consuming, because yeah. uh, you can just groom away and uh, just... Um, it's more procedural than uh, creating hairs for uh, games. Yeah, but you can just we, throw CPUs at it. You just um, throw some cores at it, get some renders going. Just 
can't <laughs> yeah, do that sure. in games though. Yeah, exactly. And it's more of a like node-based workflow. Mm-hmm. We work with uh, Yeti for creating the final groom. So basically, the workflow now is that we groom stuff like the simple guides in uh-huh. uh, Blender, and then we convert to MayaCurse and bring them over to Maya, since we render most of the projects in V-Ray. Then we sort of connect these um, curves into the Yeti system. So then you can generate a lot of hairs, basically, based on those that sparse guide sets that mm. you have Ye- from Blender. Yeti is the one where I don't think it's available in the States. Yes, there's some very interesting uh, law stuff going on there. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know, there's some um, weird stuff that they can only sell it in um, Europe, I think, because there was some kind of copyright thingy. I'm not super uh, informed. The thing that I kind of want to get to you is a little bit of your career and your career trajectory, you know, mostly just so we have a scope of things because you started out, you've been doing this for a long time, as long as I've been doing this. And um, what was the first thing that you started doing when you got into this industry? I started working for a uh, smaller studio in Stockholm called Milford. And we were doing a lot of uh, like TV commercials and Mm -hmm. that sort of Pixar look, basically, like doing, Mm -hmm. you know, cute characters, that kind of thing. But, you know, I was always interested in doing more realistic work and yeah. also ended up doing, <laughs> reluctantly ended up doing rigging for them as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of those studios where you kind of have to just make sure that, you know, you take on the work and just make it happen, basically. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I was always into um, more real- realistic stuff. So, yeah. you know, during that time, I was beta testing for ZBrush. And I also did some freelancing for Milk VFX in London, mm-hmm. for instance. Yeah. Uh, that kind of thing. And always like working on personal projects. That was always one of, one of the things I love the most, where you can just do whatever you want. And you also have the time to try new workflows and things and applications and try to get the time to learn things. Because in production, there's uh, always... No time pressure and a date where you need to deliver stuff as well. Yeah, what's what's been one of the funnest projects you got to work on? Ooh, one of the funnest projects that would be um, it's definitely stuff that I've been doing at Goodbye Kansas professionally. I'd say like the stuff we did for Conan or perhaps Overkill's The Walking Dead that we worked on as well. We did a bunch of character trailers for them. I mean, working in a studio is something that I love because, you know, being at the beginning of the pipeline, you get to create stuff and you push it over to the next girl or guy in the line, basically. And they just, you know, sprinkle their magic on top of it and make your own stuff look even better, like rigging and uh, animators and all of the rest of the talented artists. Mm. Just amazing to see the final results with your uh, characters in it. What's a day look like, a typical day? Like, what time do you get into the office? What time do you leave? Yeah. What do you do while you're there? I'd say my work day starts at the at home, you know, getting the mm-hmm. kids ready for school and stuff like that. And going to work, and it's basically just uh, working on projects. Also work as, like, a uh, lead in a lot of the projects that I work on, which mm-hmm. basically means you have a team and you talk to the producers and assign tasks and scheduling and stuff like that. And also do uh, 3D stuff yourself. And then you have 
people in production coming over and like, oh, we have a bid coming up. Like, what would it take to do, a, you know, a deer or, a, you know, a moose or whatever, that kind of thing. So you're in a bunch of meetings and it's also like daily meetings in the morning. So there's a lot of stuff going on. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's challenging to be able to tick everything off at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But So um, lots of meetings? I like meetings when they are productive and most of the meetings are but you know there's always the case where you end up and you sort of stray away from the essence of the meeting that you were supposed to you know uh, the, the stuff that you were supposed to talk about like oh you end up talking about some issue with a pipeline or whatever yeah. so i think that it's important to uh, yeah stay on target in meetings right. so talk to me about this piece adam this was such a cool project to come out yeah, that was a tech demo for Unity, mm-hmm. I guess. What is this? Two years ago, or something. Yeah. And so I created two characters, Sebastian and Lou, and they were based off the uh, like the base model that Plamen uh, Tavnev uh, made. So I modeled those a lot of ZBrush, a lot of uh, Marvelous Designer, and Blender as well. How many polys was each character? Because they look oh. awesome. Yeah, thanks, man. Oh, I, Jesus Christ, I don't really remember. Could it be like the game resolution might be, could it be around 200 or 250,000 triangles, perhaps? Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, uh, yeah, I think these are actually downloadable somewhere on mm-hmm. Unit's uh, website or so. So everyone, anyone could uh, download them. That's great. And your job was to create the... Um, well, the high resolution thing. mesh, the high, yeah. yeah, the okay. high resolution mesh, and then also the low resolution mesh, and at the end, you know, it came sort of tied towards the deadline because of some changes. So I got some help from a couple of other amazing artists at the office, uh, mm-hmm. Sandra and Christopher uh, Brandstrom. Okay, all right, and um, one of the things that comes up a lot when we are uh, talking just tech, and I just want to talk for tech for a second, and then I kind of want to, there's a couple of things um, Susan mentioned you can uh, chat about, I think in terms of Blender, so I kind of want to jump into that. But um, one of the things that comes up, because you're, I would consider you a, you know, this is might be a little weird phrasing, but I'd consider you a consummate character artist. Like, you can get in there and just make shit happen and go from beginning all the way to the end. So either games or film, like I'm not, I'm not distinguishing between any of it. It's just you finish pieces, right? And you always have. But it, one of the big issues that I think people have starting out and people who have been in, in, in the industry for a while and just artists in general is number one, finishing things. And yep. then along the lines of doing that, what I'd love to know or see if we can unpack a little bit is just how you think about the construction of these things so that you are able to finish so many pieces. And what is in my mind along this is a lot of times people get stuck on polygon count or topology or let's say, for example, these pieces of fabric. Do I create them separately? Do I create them all as one piece of geometry? You know, how do I make these things efficient and so that they fit within the game? You know, all these kind of production concerns come in. So how do you or, or what is your mindset when you're going about creating work that lets you produce so dang much? I think it's kind of interesting. I think I have quite a different approach than a lot of other artists because I see a lot of artists that are very, what is it, systematic in their um, workflow. So, you know, mm-hmm. they go for, okay, now I'm doing the 
just a base mesh. Now I'm going to sculpting. Now I'm done with sculpting. And I go into uh, okay, creating the correct topology, creating UVs, you know, that very standard sort of way of working. But I'm very much, if I create something, either if it's for work or personal stuff, I just bash it out as fast as I can. Just junk geometry and a lot of seer measure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just auto UV everything and then sort of go into a substance painter as soon as possible and then yeah. render it. So I don't really care about high resolution sculpting at that first point. It's very messy because of nowadays a lot of the fine details I can do much faster just by doing procedural texturing in Substance Designer, for instance. Right. So then if I do that first round, just uh, doing the character from uh, start to finish, I see where it's lacking and I get the final image as soon as possible. And then I can go back like, okay, this took me X amount of days or whatever. And then I'm like, okay. So this gives me a good idea of what was hard and where I might get stuck. And now I sort of, you know, I have something that is finished. It doesn't look as good as it could be, but Mm -hmm. all the elements are there. And now I just have to go back and and fix those. And on the plus side, that gives me, if I'm working towards a deadline, that gives me some, you know, peace of mind that, you know, everything is in place and now I just have to make it look better. And since I'm working in Substance Designer, and if I do, I try to, in Substance Painter as well, I try to be as, you know, not hand painting at all, if I can. Mm. Just doing everything procedural and try yeah. using triplanar mapping, stuff like that. Because then it's just like, yeah, I just replace the mesh and, you know, it's all there. Even replace the UVs or whatever. And the texture is still there. So that's really important to me. And wow. also, like, as you mentioned, how would you go about, like, finishing pieces and that is i'd say the best way is try to set a very you know a small scope we all hear this source about people it's like oh i'm gonna create uh wolves running through a forest and then it's gonna be like you know it just expands and you're never gonna be able to finish it on your yeah own. yeah i mean if i was to summarize i'd say definitely keep your scope your project scope and then one of the issues we have with project scope is feature creep, right? Like basically Windows 7, just feature after feature after feature keeps getting added to it. And yes. so that that becomes a problem. But it sounds to me like momentum and forward progress to getting this thing into substance, like that's your first sprint. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of sprints, but if we were to use development terms, like that's the big sprint yeah. to get it into substance and then you can go back and make things and optimize things and and whatnot but you're trying to get it into substance painter and designer as quickly as possible is that accurate yeah yeah definitely all right how how does zbrush fit into this you know because you know i helped develop the program a long 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 like a long long time ago and i've been looking at this and i'm like man the zbrush is like the king and i love the program but the only competition i see for that program right now and it's actually strong competition is allegorithmic you know, like I, I look at environment arts, a lot of the stuff we used to do in ZBrush is algorithmic in terms of skin. You know, I still do all my skin in ZBrush because it's for me, it's awesome. But I'm seeing people are like, no, now we just do it in Mari. You know, they just use texturing.xyz and go right there. So how does ZBrush fit into this? Is it 
coming in as like a part of your modeling, which I think I've seen some people doing, or are you still doing a ton of sculpting or do you use it as a hub app or how does it fit into it now? It's definitely the first application that I go into to yeah. start blocking out the characters. So it's more like if I'm doing uh, very mechanical hard surface stuff, yeah. I do that in Blender and then I do the organic stuff and sculpting in ZBrush and try to collect and um, put everything together in both applications at the same time. Almost. But ZBrush is great. And one of the the best things I like about it is that you can just sculpt away and then you can go back to like the lowest subdivision and you, what's it called? It's, I think it's called freeze subdivision. And then you can basically replace the geometry. Yeah. And then it, um, when you're done, it projects the new mesh on top of the, uh, based on the other higher subdivisions. Totally. Yeah. You could just go to the lowest, import a brand new set of geometry that you got out of Blender or something like that, or even in ZBrush, and then it just swap it out. Oh, yeah, definitely. So it's it's a strong hub application for you, in essence. Like, that's your home things plug into that. Yeah, and also that I don't have to worry about topology at all uh, Mm -hmm. in the early stages, because that's basically my workflow, just doing sculpting, pushing and pulling, and then go back to the lowest subdivision, freeze subdivision, and zero mesh, and then press freeze subdivision levels again, and everything higher is uh, reprojected, basically. Okay, cool. That makes sense. That's a lot of what I've actually been seeing, is especially with the Z remesh, the decimate, and the projection. Those compounded with the sculpting tools, that's really just been what allows ZBrush to maintain such a, a warm part in our hearts. <laughs> Because <laughs> you know? well, Blender's got sculpting, but it's, you know, it's not ZBrush sculpting, right? No, it is not. But it is uh, very good, actually. And uh, the thing I love about it is that when it comes to sculpting environments, you mm-hmm. have, you know, a camera where you can you can be inside of the environment. and You can mm-hmm. actually like, move around as you would in a game, that kind of thing. What do you think is necessary for somebody to have a skill or something in their portfolio to really show that they're a job candidate. I ask this of everybody and I just, I want to know like what can help somebody who's listening to this and they're like, you know, I want to learn from Daniel. Daniel's guy, like how long you've been in this industry over a decade. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think they need to do today? Cause a lot's changed. Like PBR changed a lot. The software's changed. Substance changed everybody. What do they need today yeah. to really qualify to come underneath you and work with you as a character artist? I guess it depends on different studios and what type of studio you want to work for. Mm -hmm. But I'd say the most important thing is to show, you know, as you mentioned, finished pieces where it is like, yeah, this is a final product and you can do a breakdown where you show off the different stages. Like you have the base model and you have the sculpt and you have perhaps breakdown of the different textures mm-hmm. and where uh, the uh, you know the people that's going to hire you or uh, looking for talent is able to see your UV layout, that kind of thing, if you're mm-hmm. a student. I wouldn't say that, uh, you know, looking at my portfolio, that is a good reference mm-hmm. for um, uh, getting work because I don't, I'm not very uh, good at doing all that sort of breakdown, but... Mm-hmm. I'm already employed, so I don't really have to <laughs> worry about that <laughs> right now. 
so finished pieces, that's really important, I'd say. Sometimes I get questions about this and people are very much into, I, I would just like to sculpt, you know, I just want to sculpt. And mm-hmm. I mean, Goodbye Kansas Studios in Stockholm is a, is a mid-sized studio. So if we bring on a character artist, we want that person to do a bunch of stuff. Modeling, sculpting, and texturing is, that's really essential and setting up a simple look dev. But we also want character artists to know how to groom and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. you know, knowing all of these different skills of the trade is quite challenging, but we offer a lot of support and try to teach all the artists. So that's something that I think we excel in helping each other. If you are applying for a game studio, that's a bigger game studio, it's probably going to be more specific skill set like for instance doing just characters or just environment art whereas in at goodbye kansas you might get to do both that kind of thing it kind of depends on the projects that land and uh, yeah so and you said when you first started this conversation you described yourself as a modeler not necessarily a character artist but like a modeler no i would say no i mean i'm I think I said I was uh, working as head of modeling, uh, mm-hmm. which means managing the modeling team. Yeah. But I am a, a character creature artist at, at heart, and that's what I do, basically. But the team that somebody might apply for is not necessarily a character art team. It's it's modeling. In the mid-sized studio, you got to be able to be rounded enough to model a lot of things. Yeah, definitely. We basically want all the persons in the team to be able to tackle a bunch of different subjects like uh, hard surface or organic, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. What's one of the biggest mistakes you've made <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> on a, a job? Really good question. <laughs> or in your art, but, you know, I'm just thinking in your career, not your personal life. You know, we'll, we'll save that for a different podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> biggest mistake. That's, that's a really inter- interesting one. I mean, I make mistakes all the time. I think I might have, I'd say like um, um, saying, agreeing to do stuff that I didn't really was passionate about. Mm. So for instance, I mentioned earlier company that I worked for that, that I um, said yes to doing rigging and, you know, I'd learned to do that in school, but I, you know, my heart wasn't really into it. And yeah, so I would, sometimes that can be a door opener. I guess, and you know, open up for other possibilities in the future. You know, getting the foot in the door and that kind of thing. But for me, it was like I wish I would had perhaps said no and and uh, tried to apply for different jobs earlier in my mm-hmm. career. But then again, like nowadays, I'm I'm really happy that I did it because now I can speak rigging with a rigging artist and and understand what is necessary for producing a good rig and no deformation, that kind of thing. What about on a project, Um, you know, because what I'm trying to understand and and also communicate, because a lot of times people don't realize the things that go wrong and, you know, the mistakes that they make in the beginning, you know, and all kinds of stuff arises as artists, you know, do we, like I was working um, on Green Lantern and I was in the concept department. Uh, It was a very short time period I was doing this. And uh, I was working for a costumer, and a costumer had no idea. She had, she had like an Oscar. She had no idea how to work with 3D. So she'd like, I want dolphin skin, and but I want it done in 3D. 
and uh, you know, and I want it done in an hour. And it's like, it takes an hour to open Maya, right? So how am I going to work all this? And then it was just back and forth. It was absolute nightmare. And I ended up getting fired, basically, after a mm. week and a half, you know, and all of it came about because I was trying to appease this person, whereas I wasn't just saying, no, this is not possible. It's, no, you can't do this. Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I understand. Do you ever not deliver on a project? No, I haven't experienced that I always deliver that's awesome uh well it you just have to um be I, as i mentioned earlier just be yeah. realistic about what you can achieve in a certain time and and sort of communicate that to your uh closest boss basically that's a good point so, i do think communication is such an important part of this because there's so many moving parts which I think is the other thing that's very fascinating about your work is you go back and forth between software a lot. Yeah, that's, um, you know, it's basically picking the cherry from each application and trying to use the stuff that it's really good at, like, you know, mm -hmm. Marvelous for uh, clothes and, and Blender for, uh, you know, visualizing and uh, hard surface stuff. Yeah. And Seabrush uh, for sculpting, basically. I used to tell people two years ago that software sophistication was a part of what made you a job candidate. So you needed to do Maya or Max. And I don't know about you, but I think those days are gone. I think that Blender really opens up for a new um, paths, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's it's always different. I think that you know whenever you come in touch with a pipeline, there's probably going to be a, an application like Maya, for instance, where you need yeah. to publish your stuff. But modeling, it's such a, you know, that can be done anywhere. Yeah. And Blender is such a no-brainer because you don't need to buy it, basically. You just need to support it any way you can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like they uh, take donations and stuff like that. So how does somebody even begin to get in the process, start to learn this, start to do this? What's the steps? There is a bunch of tutorials for Blender, and the Blender Foundation also hi, have a um, web page with tutorials. You can pay to get access to those tutorials. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of tutorials online as well. The only tricky thing is like, you know, uh, Blender 2.8 is uh, with a delicious viewport and everything. That's, that's the stuff you want to get into as soon as possible. But mm -hmm. all of the tutorials are made for the old version of Blender, where you know certain things are in different places in the user interface. So it can be tricky to learn 2.8 since you have to look at old tutorials, basically. But the like the foundation, all the all the like the how you do a groom, for instance, uh, that's the same thing. It's the only difference is setting it up for Eevee with shading and things like that. Mm -hmm. And also like uh, a, a tricky thing with Bender is that since it's free, there is a lot of tutorials and not every one of those tutorials are made by a professional person. So you, mm -hmm. you will you'll have to dig through a lot of tutorials that much. Well, help me understand some of the, just the conceptual framework for grooming. When it starts out, we don't need to get into the demo side of it, but just when, it's, when it starts out, what's the first thing you're thinking about? Is it paths that just describe a general direction? You know, and this is short hair to some extent. So what's the very first thing that you start to think about? 
Well, um, the first thing I start to think about is uh, looking at a reference and try to figure out how the initial, uh, like the the flow of the fur mm-hmm. would be. Yeah, I get so, um, and then, you know, a good way of working is to start trying to just finding out for yourself, sort of almost painting out, uh, lipstick painting out the direction of the fur based on the reference and then you just uh, groom it like so all right all right guys any questions you guys got for daniel shout them out right now because we got a short time window joseph is asking what's the list of blender add-ons you recommend that's a great question joseph because there's so many yeah yeah definitely i would say box cutters uh great add-on it's created by um Guy, guys, uh, goes by the uh, nickname Master C, I think, and also created this other add-on, Hardops, which is all re- also very nice. So both of those are very much hard surface modeling uh, mm-hmm. add-ons. I use uh, Retopa Flow for uh, uh, retopping. That is only, and that's something to be aware of that. A lot of these applications are only usable for 2.79 since they are in the new version, they are still changing the API. So mm. that means that, you know, add-ons that use a certain functions might be, uh, you know, lose their functionality when uh, the Blender developers uh, change the API. So, but, but uh, Master Sion and the box cutter team are really good at you know, keeping track of that and and um, adding new versions all the time. So that's nice. Awesome. Tony's asking uh, particle systems default. I assume that's the default particle hair system, correct? No add-on? Yes, that is correct. Daniel, if you're going for character work, how important is it to show prop work as well? It's a great question, Daniel. And the, the question is in the portfolio, do I just need to put characters or do I need to prop, do prop work? And he's probably asking because I made him make a prop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think that sometimes if I'm looking for character artists, yeah, I would definitely just look at the after characters in people's mm-hmm. re- uh, reels or in their galleries. But sometimes we take on people who do props and then they have a passion for doing characters and they start learning characters and you mm-hmm. sort of have that. So yeah, a prop can serve that purpose, sort of gets you in the door for character work, I guess. But I would never require to see a, a prop from a character artist. Awesome. All right, yeah. guys, that's about all the time we have. Daniel, man, great to um, great to talk. I mean, we really never even talked uh, extensively back at the URC day, so it's great to talk and get to learn a little bit about you. Yeah, sure. And, uh, and see the It work. was nice talking to you. Thank you so much, my friend. Yeah, no problem. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. 
We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.